0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you've got your Bibles, meet me in John chapter 8, Gospel of John chapter 8. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1073 in that Bible. And we are continuing our way through. We're in the back nine now of our series on spiritual warfare. Just a few more weeks. We do have a booklet that goes with the warfare series. You can buy these at the Hub. And they're just a way to take the series deeper, beyond just the Sunday morning, and and we are wrestling through not just the scripture, but what does the scripture mean, and how do we apply it to our lives? And so the book that will be a great help to you as we go through that. Last week, we took some time uh, to talk about some things that in the service we called Enemy Tactics. That was the name of the sermon, talking about what are some of the ways, not maybe all of the ways, but some of the ways in which the enemy is at work in our lives. Where does he try and trip us up? So we talked about uh, tricks of the devil, to you by the letter D. Deception, disobedience, disease, distraction, division, and discouragement. And we didn't talk a lot about deception because we were going to take today actually just to talk about that one. And the sermon today is called The Power of the Lie and how the enemy lies and what that does to us. Sun Tzu, who wrote a book called The Art of War, said all warfare is based on deception. If you look at the wars of the world, it's all about how to kind of trick the other side so that you can have an advantage and win the battle. And we certainly see that in the way the enemy engages against us as followers of Jesus. So, there is a story. I've told this story to you once before when I first started here, uh, and I love this story. It's one of my favorites. It illustrates what we're talking about today so well. It's the story of the Lost Squadron. So, in World War II, uh, there is uh, obviously a global conflict going on. America gets involved, and America wants to send a squadron of airplanes across the ocean to England because they are getting ready to invade Europe. Uh, Europe, mainland Europe, is dominated by the Germans at that point. And so, the Lost Squadron can't just fly straight across the ocean because back then uh, they didn't have the fuel capacity to do that so they had to kind of jump around a little bit so they would fly from the States to Newfoundland and from Newfoundland to Greenland from Greenland to Iceland and then from Iceland they could kind of hop over and so there were air bases along the way where they could land and they could refuel and they could take off again and so they are getting ready to cross the ocean in this way and so they land at the airfield in Greenland and as they land in Greenland they're getting ready to take their next jump over to Iceland so the squadron takes off and they're flying across Across Greenland, and Greenland, uh, in spite of the name, is not overly green. It's actually mostly just ice, and it's completely uh, desolate except for some villages around the edges. And so they're flying over just wide open ice fields, and they run into a terrible blizzard along the way. Uh, they don't have the radar and weather technology that we have today and so they get stuck in this blizzard and it's so bad that they can't see where they're going and their uh, planes are still pretty new at this point so they don't have tons of instruments like we have today and, and they don't have you know, satellite positioning obviously and so they begin to get lost in this blizzard and so they decide we're going to turn around and go back to the, the airbase in Greenland. And so they turn around, but the blizzard's so bad that they don't know where, exactly where they're going, and so they're lost in all of this white and all of this snow. And they begin to radio the airbase, saying, uh, "We're a bit lost. You know, we're not sure what to do. Can you help us out?" And the air base radios back and says, we are completely snowed in. There's zero visibility. You're never going to be able to see us. Uh, We recommend you just bail out on the ice. And so the good news about Greenland is there's just big ice fields everywhere. And so you're not going to crash into anything. And so they said, just land on the ice. Just just go ahead and do that. And so they decide that that is what they're going to do. And so the squadron is there. And they're in contact with each other. And so one of them tries to land on the ice and puts their wheels down and comes down. And so the good news is it's nice and big and flat, but the bad news is is the ice is really uneven, and so the plane actually flips over. And so everybody's okay, nobody is hurt, nobody is killed, but they realize, okay, well, we can't land on our wheels, but because there's these great big fields and there's you know, feet of snow on them, we can actually just leave our landing gear up and we can just land flat on our belly. And we'll, you know, we'll slide and skid all over the place, but that's okay, because there's nothing for miles. And so they decide to land that way, and that's exactly what they do. They just land flat on their belly, and everybody lands safely, and everybody is okay, and the whole squadron comes down on the ice, and everyone is fine, and they are able to radio for help, and the search party comes, comes out they find them and they get them home safely so the good news is everybody's fine the bad news is Is that once a plane has landed on its belly there's no way to get those wheels up again and so those planes are just done and they're in the middle of nowhere so it's not like you can go out and tow them back or anything so the planes are just that's just the end of them they're all stuck there Um, and if you look online there's a story of how they went and found them in more recent years because they were buried in snow and ice and things and it's kind of a cool story so this whole squadron of planes is taken out and as these pilots come back to the airbase they get back to the airbase and they realize there's no Snow at the airbase at all. And they said, Well, what happened? We radioed you guys and you said you were completely snowed in. There was no visibility. And the airbase said, What are you talking about? We never heard from you at all. And it was sunny and clear here. And they realized what had happened is that along the coast of Greenland, uh, there were enemy subs and they would stay around the coast and they would try and intercept radio broadcast, and someone on one of these subs who spoke good enough English to understand what was going on, uh, gave the message, you need to just pitch out on the ice, and, uh, you know, we're snowed in here, which was a lie, but the power of that lie took out a whole squadron of airplanes without firing a shot without risking a battle, without risking a single soldier, just the power of the lie once believed took out the whole squadron, and those airplanes were just done for the rest of the war. They were never going to harm anybody. The power of a lie. And if Satan can get us to believe a lie about God, believe a lie about ourselves, believe a lie about our future, believe a lie about another person— then he can bind us up, he can take us off track, he can stop our prayers, he can stop us reading our Bible, he can stop us going to church, he can split churches, he can split marriages, he can do all kinds of damage, and he doesn't even have to engage with us directly. He can just plant a lie that we believe, and as we believe the lie, like the squadron, we can get taken out of the fight. It's a brilliant strategy if you're the enemy. And so that's what we want to be aware of. And as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about we are never afraid, but we do want to do what Scripture tells us to do, which is be alert. We want to be aware. We want our eyes open. The first week, we talked about that tagline from the G.I. Joe cartoon back in the 80s that said, Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. And so we want our eyes open. We want to be aware. And let's take a look at what Jesus had to say about this. We're in John chapter 8, and we are starting in verse 42 jesus is debating with the pharisees they're giving him a hard time and he's being pretty blunt with them about some things so in verse 42 jesus said to them the pharisees if god were your father you would love me for i have come here from god i have not come on my own god sent me why is my language not clear to you because you are unable to hear what i say you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So there's a lot in that passage that's much bigger than what we're talking about today in Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were, um, you know, full of Scripture, but they missed the heart of God so often, and they, they weren't really grabbing onto the truth because Jesus said they were full of sin and full of selfishness, and it was kind of twisting everything. But there's some key things in there that Jesus tells us about the devil that are important, and the most important one is that he's a liar. In the Pentecostal world where I grew up and the preachers would throw it all the time, the devil's a liar, Amen. You could say it after anything, anything, even good things that you said. You could say, the devil's a liar, amen, and you'd have to say amen, because that's just the truth. And so we want to be aware of that fact that that's what he does. Jesus says that's his native language. That's all he speaks. He's a liar. And we need to be aware that that is not, it's not that it's half-truths or whatever, it's that he is a liar. Um, Pentecostal church, we used to always say as well, that's a lie from the pits of hell when something came up. And so we want to be aware of that. It was my birthday this last week, and someone put on my Facebook, a woman in our church who will remain nameless, uh, said, congratulations on the big 4-0, which I'm not there yet, for the record. And I said, that's a lie from the pits of hell. And so we want to be aware of this important truth that the devil is a liar Amen. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar, and the father of lies. And when we believe the lie, like the nature of deception is we don't realize we're deceived, right? Is that the lie feels like truth. It feels like fact. It feels like reality. And so when we believe things about God that aren't true, when we believe things about ourselves that aren't true, when we believe things about other people that aren't true, we get bound up in this lie, and we can very easily get taken out of the fight, just like that squadron of airplanes. The power of a lie, once believed, can do a lot of damage. And so as these things come into our lives, sometimes it's just a thought that comes into our mind. Sometimes it's something that gets spoken through another person in an angry moment. Sometimes it's something that the media tells us, or Hollywood tells us. There's a lot of different ways these things can come, and we'll touch on some of them. But we want to have our eyes open, because if the bad news is that the lies bind us up and take us out, the good news is, is that Jesus said the truth will set you free. There is an opposite to what the enemy wants to do, and the positive opposite is more powerful because God is more powerful. Truth is more powerful than lies. And Jesus wants us free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. And so we want to be aware that there are lies about God that the enemy wants to sow into our lives. In your booklet, there is a a much more uh, in depth list of these, but just a few of the types of things that we are prone to believe commonly about God. That God doesn't care, that God won't listen to these prayers, that God has left, that I can't approach God, God isn't listening. There's many, many more, but just anything about God is cruel and about to bring his wrath on me. All of these pictures of God that don't necessarily line up with Scripture, but that we just maybe commonly believe, maybe even we were taught Or maybe the culture has influenced us that we believe some of these things. But if Satan can get us believing lies about God, then we're not going to probably run to God if I believe he's just about to kill me every time I make a little mistake. Right? If we believe that he doesn't respond to prayer, then why am I bothering praying if that's a lie that I believe? If we believe that the Bible is boring and there's nothing in there for me, then why would I ever read my Bible? If he can get us believing lies about God, he can take us away from our relationship with him. And if we're not praying, we're not fighting. If we're not worshiping, we're not fighting. If we're not engaging in God's word, then we're not fighting. And so he can take us out of the fight if he can take the fight out of us by making us believe a lie. He can also try and get us to believe lies about ourselves, about who we are. And there's so many amazing things the Bible says about us. Like, it's almost too good to be true. It can feel like bragging, where we say, I am made in the image of God. And I am loved by him. I am chosen by him. I am called by him. I am sealed by him. He's given me gifts to transform the world. It sounds arrogant, but it's in the Bible. He has given us gifts to help one another, and he has a plan and a destiny for our lives, and he has promised good to us, and the fullness of the blessings of heaven are ours in Jesus. These are truths from God's word for us. But if I start to believe some lies along those ways, and I start to feel like, you know what? I'm never going to beat this sin. It's never going to get better. Whatever I'm facing, it's never going to get any better. I'll be happy when... I think that's one of the, the, the subtlest and slyest lies that we can believe. There was a study done where they wanted to find out where does real financial security come from? Not a Christian study, but just where do people feel financially secure? How much money do you need in, in our culture right now to feel secure? So they went to people who made $40,000 a year and said, what would you need to feel financially just solid? And they said, honestly, $40,000 a year, if we could just make 60 dollars then we could be on top of our bills, we could put something in savings, we could put something in our RSP, we would feel secure at, at 60,000. So they went to the people who made 60,000, because these people should therefore feel financially secure, and said, "What would you need to feel financially secure?" And they said, "Honestly, if we could just get 80." Just $80,000, because then we could be on top of things, we could put some more away for the future. And so they went to the people who made eighty, dollars and they said, how much would you need to feel financially secure? And they said, if we could just make $100,000, if we could hit $100,000. And almost across the board, basically, everyone said, I will be happy when I make twenty dollars more than I make now. Like, all the way up, people making one hundred and fifty, dollars How much would you need to feel secure? If I could just make one seventy, dollars that would just really take the edge off all of my financial worry. And so this myth that if we can get to a certain place, then we'll be happy. If we can get to a certain uh, place of, of financial security or emotional security or relational security, then I'll finally be happy. And on the other side, in God's word, Paul says, you know what? I've learned to be happy no matter where I'm at. There is a peace that comes no matter whether I have lots of money or little money, if I'm in prison or if I'm free, no matter what. I have learned the secret to be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so there's this, this lie that, it's, again, it's so subtle, but I'll get, if we can get to this point, then I'll be content. And the truth of God's word is learn to be content right where you're at because there's peace available to you no matter what. I can't overcome my past. I can't make God happy. Uh, Whatever else, God doesn't love me. I don't have a great plan for my life. I don't have a way out of this situation. All of these things that if we believe them about ourselves, then we are never going to be who we're supposed to be. And Satan knows you're supposed to be someone who is terrifying to his kingdom. And so he'll do everything possible to make sure that we are not who we are supposed to be. And so these lies come through others, they come through thoughts, they come through the media. You'll never be, you're not good, you're bad, whatever that looks like. And if we believe those lies, we get taken out of the fight. Lies about other people as well will come. And there are many different ways this can happen in a marriage, in a church, in a friendship. Things like, that person will never change, this marriage will never get better, I can't forgive them, I can't stop being angry, they're out to get me, this relationship that's broken won't ever be reconciled. And if Satan can get us looking at people differently or doubting their goodness or feeling like they're out to get us or whatever, then these things can play into his hand to cause division and to make us doubt our marriage and doubt our churches and doubt our friendship Where relationships are broken, we won't take a step to fix them because we believe, well, it'll just never be fixed. So what's the point in taking a step towards reconciliation if it's just never going to be fixed? If they're never going to change, why would I bother working on this friendship? Because they're just never going to change. And I tried it before and it didn't work, so therefore, forget it. Why bother? Why would I? And he can do unbelievable damage. If he can get us to receive these things as truth, he can take us out of the fight. The good news is, 1 John 3.8 says that the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the devil's work, including the lies that we are bound up with. And I am of the opinion that all of us believe some things that aren't true. And so the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy that. He came to tear down those lies. He came to bring the real truth so that we could be free to understand our God as he is, to understand who we are, to understand who others are, and to walk in truth as we live out this Christian walk with Jesus, the reason he came was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus has come to declare war on the lies in your life. He has come to bring freedom for us. And again, the nature of deception is we don't realize that we're deceived. These things come subtly. It's not like a, you know, a demon literally pops up and says, here's a lie. And we go, oh, that sounds very believable. It's these things are subtle, and, and they're so uh, sneaky, and, and he operates in darkness. And so, you know, when we talk about why do we believe these things, there's just a few things we want to be aware of. Um, sometimes, simply, we just don't know. We don't know that not every thought that comes into our head is good or of God. And so sometimes a thought just comes, oh, that person's such a jerk, why are you even talking to them? and we don't ever question it. We just go, oh yeah, they are, they are such a jerk. And, and we need to learn to go, huh, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. So why is that thought there, and why am I letting it be there? And Scripture tells us, take captive every thought. Like, you have to be intentional about understanding that not every thought that pops into your head is from you. Not every thought that pops into your head is from God. Sometimes the enemy is planting things, and we want to have open eyes so that we can start to filter what we're thinking and what we're seeing. And if there are things like that where the thought is, what a jerk, why would I ever trust that person, that we go, okay, you know what? That doesn't sound like Jesus. There's probably a more Jesus-y way to approach that person. So let's be aware of that, because that thought that came might be a lie, that might not be the truth. So part of the problem is we just don't know. We don't pay attention enough to what is going on in our brains. Sometimes what makes them tricky is they come through other people. Sometimes someone speaks something into our life that's not true, and that's a lot harder to ignore. Because that's you hear that, right? That's something coming audibly and it's coming to you. Especially if these things come when we're young and they come through a significant adult in our life. It, if it comes through our parents or a teacher or something. I mentioned a couple weeks ago a friend of mine who was told by a teacher in front of the class, you will never amount to anything. So that's a lie. That's not God's truth. That is not good or godly. That is not in line with the scripture. And yet there was something about hearing those words that bound her up for a long time. And she struggled for years. And she just kind of just went from, you know, job to job and didn't have a lot of purpose. And now she's broken free of that and is in a great place now. But sometimes the lie comes through someone else. Sometimes when it comes through our parents. When it comes through our parents and it's, it's you are bad. Or, Or you're not worth my time. Sometimes it's not even spoken. Sometimes it's unspoken, right? If mom and dad are never there, you're not worth my time. That lie can take root. And so we want to be aware as parents, obviously, of what we're saying and communicating. But where these things come, these things can go deep. They can go deep into our heart, deep into our soul. If you've ever been through a divorce, I can pretty much guarantee some things were said that were not good back and forth between the sides, either in the lead up or in the divorce itself. And these things can really grab a hold of us and bind us up. And so these things are hard when we hear them come through other people. Sometimes we let circumstances dictate. I prayed for that. God didn't do what I wanted, therefore God doesn't answer prayer. Or I tried this spiritual thing that the Bible told me to do, and it didn't work when I tried it, therefore it's not real. And so we can believe these lies because we let our circumstances decide. And what we see overwhelmingly is Scripture, is people who refuse to let circumstance decide what is right. They let God and His Word decide what is right and what is true. And we say our circumstances are going to have to bend, even if they are big, and even if they are scary, and even if we don't see them changing, we are going to stand by faith because we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we let our circumstances dictate, we are walking by sight and not by faith. And so we look to God's word and what he has to say. His word is the final word. And so sometimes because of hurts we've been through and trials we've been through and difficulties we've been through, uh, we can believe lies about God or lies about ourselves just because it it's, feels like that's reality. We've experienced that. And I don't have the answer to why not every prayer is answered or why things are difficult, but I know that our job is to walk by faith and not by sight. That is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And it's not that we ignore sight, but we walk by faith first and foremost, so we look to God's word for truth and not our circumstances for truth. The last reason why these things are so hard is we don't ever question. We don't question the game the enemy might be playing. We don't say, huh, I wonder if he's doing something in my marriage right now. I wonder if he's doing something in my relationships right now. I'm feeling my self-esteem is really low. I wonder if he's up to—we just don't ever question that. Because so many of these things just feel like thoughts in our head, or they just feel like a comment from a friend, even. And these things just feel so real that we don't ever question them. And so part of what we're doing today is hopefully giving you the message, question these things. Don't just accept them automatically. And if things are pulling you away from God, question them. If things are pulling you away in your relationship, question them. If there are things that we are thinking about ourselves or God or others that are not doing good things in our lives, we should question them and whether they are from God. And we should compare them to the scripture and see what is true because we believe God's word is truth. What's very cool as we sort of live out in the time that we live, uh, I always love hearing where, where science and, and medicine and things sometimes uh, kind of catch up to where Scripture has been saying things for thousands of years. And so, um, you know, in the 20th century, in the medical world, they talked a lot about, you know what, joy and laughter actually are healing for the body. It it actually can make a difference in your blood pressure, and and when you're sick, infection can clear up. Um, And so we go, well, the Bible said thousands of years ago that laughter is the best medicine. It's in Proverbs. And so it's kind of cool when we see these things kind of start to line up. And so one of the things that has happened in more recent years, one of my professors wrote his PhD on this, was he talked about something called neural pathways. And I am not a neurologist, if you didn't know that. And so I'm not an expert in this, and I'm explaining this in a dumbed-down way, because this is how he explained it to me, but it kind of makes sense. And so neural pathways has to do with how our brain works. And it basically, the premise is, our brain wants to be efficient, and it wants to to run as a well-oiled machine, and so our brain takes whatever possible and tries to just kind of memorize it and internalize it so it doesn't have to focus on it anymore. So, for example, when you were learning to drive a car, you focused like crazy, right? Right foot and left pedal and hands and mirrors and awareness and people, and it took in a tremendous amount of concentration. And as you did it over and over and over and over again, your brain began to memorize it and internalize it, and now most of us probably can drive without really thinking about it. Because your brain doesn't want to have to waste energy focusing on things, so it tries to memorize it and internalize it, and it creates kind of a shortcut in your brain so that your thoughts just go there without any conscious effort, and so you're able to just kind of function. Because if we had to focus on every single thing, like I've got to focus on breathing and talking and blinking, and so our brain just makes these things, these shortcuts, these neural pathways. And the picture that they use is if you can imagine a, a muddy field, and you drive across it in a car the first time, you'll leave little tracks. And if you drive across the exact same spot, the tracks will get deeper. And if you drive in the same spot 40, 50, 60 times, then a deep rut's going to form in the mud. And from then on, anytime your car gets anywhere near those ruts, it's just going to fall into the ruts, and it'll follow the ruts without any effort. And so that's what our thoughts can do. And as we do things over and over and over and over and over again, these ruts get formed in our mind, and our thoughts just track along them easily without any conscious thought. So that's the basic premise of neural pathways. Here's the problem. Is that if you are believing a lie, if someone spoke a lie into your life and you think about it and you think about it and you think about it over and over and over again, you meditate on it, you meditate on it, what we don't realize is happening is a rut is getting formed up here and our thoughts are starting to very easily travel along that path and and then eventually it just becomes memorized and internalized and it becomes reality for us. We don't consciously think about it at all. That's just the way it is, and our thoughts very easily go along that path. And so all of us, again, I think we all have probably misunderstandings about God. We all have misunderstandings about ourselves. We all have misunderstandings about others. Uh, no one is, is completely free of this, but we have these ruts in our mind. And, and again, when we don't question, our thoughts just so easily just dwell in these ruts. And so what we need to do now, as we recognize some of these things, the good news in a money field like that is you can make new ruts. You can go in a different direction. And and even if the car naturally goes in here, if you start going in another way and running over that track 50, 60, 100 times, a new rut is going to be formed. And so when the lies come against us, we talked about this last week, we push back with truth. We push back with truth. And just so there's no misunderstanding of the kind of truth we're talking about, Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. The word of God is the truth we are talking about. And so today, as you look at your Bible, or as you hold your phone with your scripture on it in your hands, I don't want you to blow past this challenge I'm about to give you. Where as a priority is this truth working in your life? As a priority of your time and your study and your meditation? Because according to Barna studies, the average Christian spends about 10 minutes a day at most in the Bible. And if we have lies coming from media and from Hollywood and from other people and lies existing in our mind, I'm just not sure 10 minutes a day is going to cut it. Like if this is the truth that sets us free, how badly do we want to be free? If this is the truth that's going to change the way we view God and change the way we view ourselves, if it's going to break the things that bind us and bring us into wholeness and healing, where is Scripture fitting into our lives as a priority? And where does it fit if we were to put it on a scale compared to how much time we spend on our phones, on Facebook, TV, Netflix, surfing the internet— Imagine for most of us that's not a fair weighing probably and I'm not saying it has to be exactly equal But I'm just saying where is truth fitting as a priority in our lives as a priority? Where we are actively spending time engaging with God's Word and maybe that's reading Maybe that's listening to teaching or reading books or listening to sermons can look a lot of different ways But where is God's Word? Where is God's truth fitting as a priority in our lives? Because if the lies are coming against us, and Jesus says lying, that's just what he does. That's his main thing. He's a liar, and he's the father of lies. He's been lying since the beginning. It's his native language. He can't not lie. And if he has declared war on us with these lies, how are we engaging with the truth by which we push back against the lies? And not just in our personal Bible time, where are we speaking the truth in love to others? Because I don't always realize I'm believing a lie. I need someone to come and point that out to me. And this is where we fight for one another, not just ourselves. Speaking the truth in love. And those two things are very important to go together. The truth in love. Because if I speak the truth without love, that can be harsh and brutal. If I have so much love and I don't want to offend that I never speak the truth, then that's just flaky and light. Truth and love need to go together. We need to learn how to speak the truth in a loving way so that the truth can be received by whoever we're speaking it to. But one of the most powerful things we can say to somebody else, my mentor used to say this to me all the time, I would say something about God, and he would just say, not angrily, he wouldn't say, that's a lie from the pits of hell, he wouldn't go that route, but he would just say, I'm not sure that's true. Because this scripture says this. And then he would just leave it. And he would leave me to meditate on it. And as I meditated on the truth, you you think about it, and 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 a new rut starts to get formed against the lie. And where we have had parents who have spoken things into our lives that have gone deep, and we have had ex-wives and husbands who have said horrible things, and we have these wounds that we carry from experiences in our life, and we've had circumstances come against us. We have all of these things that are potentially giving us a skewed version of who we are, of who God is, of who other people are. We need to push back with the truth, and we need to do that for one another. And so we need to love each other enough to be able to say, hey, this is a scripture that God put on my heart for you. It doesn't have to be a big confrontation, but just here's, here's some truth for you. I'm not sure that's true, what you're saying. Because sometimes people have said that to me, and I didn't even realize I was holding on to something that wasn't true. It had to be pointed out to me. Because the nature of deception is we don't realize we're deceived. If we knew we were deceived, we wouldn't have a problem. So sometimes we need other people to come alongside us and help us to do that. And we need to fight for one another, not just ourselves. Because here is a truth from God's word. Here's what Jesus says to us in Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. So if we're worried about the enemy, we have missed out on this truth, where Jesus said, remember we talked about in our first weeks, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, and now I give it to you to overcome the power of the enemy. There is nowhere the enemy is at work in your lives where you do not have the authority and the power to overcome it. That's the truth of God's word. So know who you are, church, Know who you are. Know what's been given to you. Know who your God is. Because there is nothing that we are facing that is not within us by the grace and power of God to overcome. There is nothing in us. There is nothing attacking us. There is nothing facing us. And that's why Scripture says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. So recognize who you are. Recognize who your God is. And church, my goodness, stand up and start pushing back on some of these things. Let's not let the lies hang there. Let's not let these things bind us up and bind up our friends and bind up our spouses and bind up our children. Let's speak truth there. And let's figure out where is truth, where is God's word going to fit as a priority in my life where I engage with his truth more and more so that I can be free of some of these misunderstandings and lies of the enemy. We have an email address here, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions about the message or anything relating to what we're talking about, we would love to keep chatting about that with you and take some time to answer those questions and keep that conversation going. Watchman Nee was a Chinese uh, theologian and pastor in the first part of the 20th century in China, and he put it this way. He said, The devil abhors, hates, light, and truth because these remove the ground of his working. So anything he can do to keep us out of our Bibles, anything he can do to keep us from speaking truth to one another, anything he can do to keep things in the darkness and to keep things shady, like that's his wheelhouse. And so knowing that he hates light and knowing that he hates truth, let's respond to that and say we are going to be people of light. We are going to be people of truth. We are going to devour God's truth in our lives. We're going to make sure we're taking in lots of it. And not only taking it in, speaking it out, and praying it out, and encouraging one another with it. And saying, this is what the truth says. In love, gently and lovingly and kindly. But as we do that, we are going to set one another free. Because Jesus said, I've given you the authority to do this. I have given you the authority to do this where the power of the enemy is at work in your lives you have the authority to overcome it you have it it's yours the word says so and so let's know who we are let's rise up as men and women of god let's not tolerate lies that we see in our lives and lives that we see in the lives of others let's stand up and be who we are supposed to be people of the truth. And as we've been talking about through this series, this is a big part of where worship becomes so important because in worship we proclaim truth and we do it together and we want to do that before we go. So would you stand with me, please, as we get ready to close. So let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for the truth that sets us free. Thank you that we are not uh, left alone in our lives, Lord, that the enemy has sown into our lives, but that you have brought truth to us by your word and by your spirit and one another. And so we look to see you, Lord, as you truly are, that you are good always, that you love us always, that you are greater and more glorious than anything we've ever encountered, that you are bigger than any circumstance that may come against us. And Lord, we remember who who we are according to your word, that we are made in your image. We are the apple of your eye. We are the beloved of the king. We are sealed and chosen by you that even when we were sinners, your love for us was so great that you sent your son to die for us and and to show us the fullness of the measure of how much you loved us and you want good for us and you want to prosper us and not to harm us, bring us to hope and a future. And just, Lord, let the truth set us free free today and in the days to come as we pick up your word, as we pick up that weapon, and as we push back against the darkness, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of one another as we fight for one another, and that you will bring freedom from the lie because you have said that your truth will set us free, and he who the Sun sets free is free indeed, and that you have given us authority over the power of the enemy in our lives. So let your kingdom come, let your will be done, let darkness be pushed back and let lies be broken at the great and wonderful and powerful name of jesus as we look to you lord to bring us into freedom and healing and wholeness and out of all of that we say thank you thank you thank you for what you are doing and what you are going to do we love you and we are so grateful for who you are and that you have called us to this place of freedom We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer, come on and join us up front. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. God bless you.